Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach is wasting the time of both the buyer and seller at every stage, especially when sellers are using shallow and outdated data. Your organization can overcome these challenges with technology that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to better outcomes like more pipeline, higher win rates, and larger deals. We call this deep sales, and we've built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash trial. That is linkedin.com slash trial for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash trial and get started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases. The time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that can enthrall you, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped, like Amy Tintera's Listen for the Lie. With exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors, captivating sound design, and dynamic performances, Audible brings these stories to life like never before. And as a member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone? iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power the collaboration needed for teams to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything, from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, Atlassian software is built to help keep you connected and moving together as one. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. 
time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from... Melbourne in Australia for the annual Virtuoso Symposium. Many of you may remember we were doing this last year from Amsterdam on board a riverboat, on board a river cruise ship. And next year, who knows where we're coming from, but we do this every year. Joining me now, the editor of the Broadsheet here in Melbourne, Ellen Fraser. How are you? Hi, hello. Very good. Now, you guys specialize in all things travel and entertainment and food. Uh, You've been around for a long time now, back and forth to Sydney, now back to Melbourne. This is a city that has experienced rapid change, rapid growth. I mean, population numbers alone. Everywhere I look, there are building cranes. I mean, when I first came here 40 years ago, you know, there was, you know, just not a lot to eat, not a lot to do. The place literally rolled up the sidewalks at 6 o'clock, sometimes (laughs) 5.30, right? Not anymore. No, not anymore. We've got a, Melbourne's got a pretty amazing cafe culture. Um, Even in the last 10 years, I think we've, we've come a really, really long way. Um, so 10 years ago, if, if you wanted to go and have breakfast out somewhere that was beautifully designed and with a trained chef in the kitchen and had great simple food made with, with great local produce, you know, you're probably picking picking one of a few destination cafes. And that was about it. Yeah, yeah, in terms of breakfast, yeah. And, you know, since then, we've, we've had a massive influx of, of restaurants like that. Like that became the norm for a while that you could go out in your suburb and you could choose from five or six different great venues. And, you know, if I look at other cities like that had similar experiences of not being really developed well, like, uh, like Warsaw or even Lisbon, now you go there and they have entire food halls where, you know, it's like 12 or 14 different restaurant venues inside one old, you know, former packing warehouse or something. Mm, mm. And you're seeing that a lot in Australia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I probably can't talk as much to like multiple venues in the one big space. I think what Melbourne does really well is standalone restaurants and diners and eateries, Um, especially breakfast, but, um, you know, dinner as well is pretty. All right, well, let's talk about breakfast because I've (laughs) I've talked about this already, I mean, but I'll I'll say it again. I had the wildest experience the other day going to Loon for for a croissant. I mean, come on, that place is scary. I mean, (laughs) Which one one did you go to? The one out in Fitzroy. In Fitzroy, yeah, Yeah, the original. I'm only about seven minutes from where we are now by by car, but, I mean, it's like going into a a chemical lab of of precision baking. Yeah. And you, you just stand there with your eyes transfixed against the window as, as they take out everything short of micrometers to measure the butter and the pastry. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's been described as a brutalist bunker, the, that space. And yeah, well, Kate Reed, who runs it, is she's amazing. She's developed this very specific 
croissant recipe um, that she keeps pretty close to her chest. And I think it was in the New York Times as, as the best croissant in the world. It's pretty close, I yeah. got to tell you. Yeah. I mean, I really, re- I really rebel against any words that end in ST. I think it's a dangerous thing to call it the best or the greatest or the most. But I'd have to say it's one of the best. Yeah, it's bloody good. Yeah. She's doing a cheese and Vegemite escargot at the moment, which is... Well, Vegemite is an acquired taste. You and I both know it. <laughs> Although, uh, for those of my friends who remember it because it's still sold in England, none of my friends like what, I, what I'm about to say, but I love eating this Twiglets. What do you, I don't know what that is. I'm so sorry. They're like, they're like pretzels coated in Vegemite. It's oh. very sour, but so great. I mean, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay. But, but it is an acquired taste. I understand that. But, okay, so that was breakfast. Where, do you, where are you going to take me for lunch? Oh, it's such a hard, it's such a tough decision. If we want to stay in Fitzroy, I think we could go. We could go to somewhere like Bar Liberty, which is a very cool sort of European, cozy little wine bar. Um, or we could cross town and we could go to St Kilda and we could go to the Espy, which has just been completely. Now St Kilda, of course, you're on the water now. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. is great, and uh, and of course, I used to go to St Kilda all the time for the old Stokehouse. Yep. Before they had the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you never go to the first floor. You go to the second floor. <laughs> um, they're back. And still great views. Yeah, so Stokehouse is right on the water and the the Esplanade Hotel, um, which is where I reckon we should go, at least for a drink. Um, oh, oh, darling. Is a little bit up the road. <laughs> um, and it's it's like this grand old hotel. Uh, it's been there since like the 1870s. And it just got taken over late last year and completely transformed. So now there's two restaurants, there's 12 bars, you know, but you can still sit at the front bar and you can watch the sun go down over the water and you can drink a Melbourne that's, bitter. That's the cool thing. Yeah. All right. And last but not least, Ellen, where are you taking me for dinner? So dinner, I'm torn because you can, I think we should go to the city for sure. Because okay. the city in Melbourne, it's, it's very happening. There's a lot going on, all the laneways, that kind of thing. Um, on Flinders Lane, there's Super Normal, which is Andrew McConnell's, uh, one of his restaurants has been there for a long time, like around a decade. Uh, they do great Asian-influenced modern dining, so Korean, Chinese, Japanese-influenced. Um, great cocktails, and it's beautifully designed, so um, neon lights, and it's very cool, very sleek, very subdued kind of space all and, at once. And the one dish you'd order? I'm not going to say the lobster roll. But you just did. You just did. <laughs> Probably the lobster roll and something else. <laughs> you see, you couldn't help yourself. You had to go with the lobster roll. Yeah, well, you've got to try it. Okay, I will. <laughs> I mean, look, if you're gonna, if you, if you're coming to Australia, you gotta have the seafood. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, I think you could, you could go there, or you could go somewhere more casual. So you go, like, go down Chinatown and go somewhere like Dainty Szechuan and just have dumplings and fish-flavored eggplant and have a bit more of a casual experience. Fish-flavored eggplant. Yeah. Words to think about. Yeah. <laughs> There's no <laughs> fish in that dish. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Coming to Australia now for, geez, I hate to say it, over 45 years. Uh, first came in 1974 uh, when uh, the definition of a uh, of sautéed was extremely deep fried. When uh, the real the real game that we used to play on the streets was guess the age of the meat pie in the counter. Um, and my next guest <laughs> knows a little bit about that because he's the founder of the Melbourne Food Experience. Alan Campion, how are you? 
Uh, absolute pleasure to be here. I'm and great. Alan, I mean, arguably, you heard my introduction. That's yes. what it was 40 years ago. And and I'm with you completely. I mean, I've been involved in food since uh, for around 40 years this year, actually. I was a chef as a young man for around 20 Making years. Making meat pies. Yeah, and, and amongst <laughs> other things, absolutely. Um, and then I, start, then I was lucky enough to get some opportunities to write about food. Yeah. So from the mid-90s, I was writing about Melbourne as a city. And, and what's lucky thing for me is it's changed out of sight. Oh, it certainly from, has. In that period. I mean, Melbourne is a hot cuisine city. I yes. mean, you can't go wrong on choice. You can't go wrong on quality. I'm not here selling it. I'm telling you this is what my experience has been. Uh, in the last couple of days, I've experienced... I mean, I used to go... I mean, in the old days, I used to go to the Stokehouse, you know, yes. before the fire. Yes, And yes. they rebuilt it, but it's still not the same. Okay, but you can't beat St. Kilda's. But at the same time, I'm learning about Loon and, yes. and those croissants. Yes. Killer. I mean, you need a nap after that croissant. <laughs> um, and then I went to Hawker Chan. Yes, indeed. Unbelievable. I mean, and by the, that's one of 90 restaurants I could have chosen on that street. Correct. Absolutely. It, we are so spoiled for choice. It's it's a combination of the things that have come together of uh, of migration, like yeah. many cities around the globe. Um, but there's over 230 nationalities here in Melbourne today. And when, a, when any group of people move around the globe, they miss many things. And one of them is food. And food is something you can do something about. You bake it, you import it, you grow it, you make it, you share it. And we are the lucky recipients that now we have chefs that are, you know, first, second, third, fourth generation, Lebanese, Vietnamese, Greek, Italian, you name it, putting food onto plates that is outstanding. All right, I have to ask the question, what happened to your chef career? <laughs> well, I, was, I really had a great transition because writing about food was of great interest to me and I just came in at the right time and all of a sudden I'm doing cookbooks and food guides and writing for the magazines and the newspapers and I absolutely loved it. And in 2002, the local food festival said, Alan, would you take your guidebook called The Foodie's Guide to Melbourne at that stage and take it on the road and run a food tour? And I thought, sure, for the festivals for two weeks, I can do that. And that here in everything. 2019, we're still going strong you know and that's pure chance but okay. it's been amazing now i gotta ask the obvious question yes can you get a good meat pie <laughs> um you're hesitating you're hesitating only because i i probably don't eat them a lot well, i don't eat them at all but they yeah. haven't changed they'd still be a traditionally made product rather than a gourmet product if, if that Right. would answer that question. But what else has changed here in Melbourne, and it's actually changed globally, is your ability to source everything. Yes. The great thing about Melbourne, it's in a state of Victoria, and Victoria is really the food bowl for much of Australia. So our chefs are gathering ingredients that are, from where we're sitting in the heart of the city today, 10, 15, 20 miles away. Picked this afternoon, they'll be using it tomorrow morning. So freshness and quality for our chefs is incredible so if you can't make an incredible meal with the skills you have and that produce you know all right now given 230 different nationalities yes. represented here in melbourne is there such a thing as a typical melbourne dish i'd say probably not except melburnians are very open to new flavors and new food so in a chef a chef called jerry might she's for me, a rock star chef, an incredible woman. She takes the influences of Vietnam, which is her parents' background in Cambodian, with some Thai and some Lao, and brings it to Melbourne. She takes the best ingredients from across the state from her favourite farmers and creates sensational food from those four different... And a bit of that French colonial influence as well. From Vietnam, of course. And I'd say one dish in particular, if you can imagine dumplings, they are an influence into Vietnam from the Chinese right. period. Awesome. We all love dumplings. They're great. But she makes them with oxtail that she's braised in sarsaparilla, like ginger beer. She loves sarsaparilla because she, she drank it as a kid. So she <laughs> braises oxtail, pulls the meat out, makes dumplings, but then the 
sauce is what you would typically have on a steak in a French restaurant. That beautiful sticky reduction sauce. What an incredible combination of flavors. And of uh, course, when I think oxtail, of course I think sarsaparilla. <laughs> of no, course. I, no, never. No. <laughs> and dumplings. So, you know, that's the creativity that Melburnians want to, want to experience. And the other thing is, the restaurants don't close at 6 o'clock anymore. No, we've, um, we've had a very progressive government and bureaucracy who have met with restaurateurs, chefs, an incredible cocktail bar owners too and they've gone we want to be open till three sure let's do it well then we need the trains and trams and public transport to be running great you need the let's do that right. so to be fair i would honestly say the governments and bureaucracies have done incredible work at making this a very livable city and a great place to come and experience food amongst other things well you're talking about staying open till three you're almost at 24 7 now oh yeah there are certainly places i, I look i um always recommend a place uh, called stalactites that if you are heading home very late at night I no stalactites. 24 hours. It's, it's stalactites <laughs> is right down the street from Hawker Chan. Yes, it is. It sure is. I know exactly where it is. Yeah. So very, very, very good Suvalaki. 24-7. See, we're back. Yeah, Suvalaki. And it's see? been there since the early 70s. Well, it's, of course. It's, it's in our it's, little it's Greek the, It's precincts. the Greeks, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's on the, but it's right around from Chinatown. It's, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, we're incredibly when, lucky. When people come to visit you here, what's mm. the biggest surprise for them that they're not expecting? Um, they, they probably weren't expecting... The quality of seafood, of wines and so forth that they're being presented at prices that they are blown away at. I mean, I could take you to one of my favorite restaurants for lunch, have a $75 chef's menu that will be course after course after course of incredible food. And by the way, since the Australian dollar is only 70 US cents, you're talking about a a $58 meal. Correct. And it it is world-class. Unbelievable. And I think what also what people... The guests that I meet, they're astonished that they leave Melbourne within 45 minutes. They're in a wine region, they're driving in the they're three in the different yeah. three different areas, three different directions. There's wine regions on our doorstep, and then our farmers and growers are in those regions. You can go to a wine region and also go to the cheese place. You go to obviously the wineries have an incredible. I want to go to the cheese place and yeah. so on. Yeah, me Absolutely. too. <laughs> the Yarra Valley Dairy is and exceptional. let's not forget we are only an hour and 20 minutes away from Tasmania. Yes, and for me, they're now making. In Tasmania, they're making single malt whiskey. Yes. They're doing the most amazing oysters that yes. they're farming, but they're unbelievable. Yes. Right? And the cuisine down there is... Uh, and, of course, you've got a cultural explosion there with crazy museums like Mona. Yeah, of course. I mean, so, right? I'm sure you cover that, too. Uh, yeah, totally. We do. It's um, People are coming to this part of the world, and I say that in inverted commas, of, you know, Sydney, Melbourne... Tasmania, and perhaps even Kangaroo Island and South Australia as well. What a great pocket of the world to visit. Alan Campion, the founder of the Melbourne Food Experiences, and now he doesn't need to be a chef anymore. He's he's got 230 nationalities to check out every single day. I love it. Alan, thanks. Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. Joining me now is a a true local. She couldn't be any more local. She's even dressed in black, which we'll we'll explain. Okay. Uh, Donna DeMeo, who's actually a broadcaster at Melbourne's number one radio station, 3AW. How are you? Yes, well, I've been there for 27 years. They can't get rid of me, Peter. I love it too much. I know. Well, I've been coming, in the interest of full disclosure, for about 40 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always had a great time. And I'm not saying this because I'm just here. Okay. But I actually think Melbourne's a hotter city than Sydney. I mean, I really do. Absolutely. I I really do. 
I concur. Well, the thing about – well, there is a rivalry, okay? Yeah. So, um, Melbourne versus Sydney. And some people profess that it doesn't exist. I do think it does. Oh, of course it, the rivalry. It, it oh, does. please, of course it, it does. does. Uh, who are we kidding, really? Um, but I am a very proud Melbourneian. Um, and as you can see, I, I feel a bit bad about wearing a speckle of white today because we're known for wearing black all the time. So, you yeah. can tell, you can identify a Melbourneian tourist in Sydney, in fact, because they pick you out because you're actually all usually wearing black. Exactly. But mm-hmm. when I first came here, your claim to fame was that you had the largest population of Greeks uh-huh. outside of Greece. Yes. Yes, that is true. Um, obviously, we are very multicultural yes. in Melbourne, and we have pockets of all um, you know wonderful nationalities. We have a lot of Sudanese here now. We have obviously the Vietnamese um, population. Or we also obviously have the uh, Italians and the Greeks. Still, as in my parents are Italian, they came in the mass migration of the fifties as well and established themselves in that fruit shop. Uh, so uh, yeah, we have lots of different nationalities represented in Melbourne, and it's a wonderful thing. And when I first came here, and I'm going to be honest, when I first came here. The definition of sautéed was extremely deep fried. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the the food was not great. Mm-hmm. Boy, has the food changed. Do we have some excellent oh, restaurants? I'm going to start with what mm-hmm. I did yesterday. Okay. I went to a bakery yesterday mm-hmm. that uh, I have to say, arguably, probably like the, one of the top five croissants in the world. Ah, Loon. La, yeah, you were oh, going to say Loon. 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 Yes, absolutely. Uh, you got to get there early, or the lines around the block for an mm-hmm. hour and a half. You walk it, it looks like it looks like a, a chemical lab is going on. Mm-hmm. I've never seen so much butter being yeah. used in the and making. And that's it. why it tastes oh, so good. Get the stretcher ready. <laughs> but I mean, twelve different kinds of croissants. They even have a cruffin, which mm-hmm. is a croissant, and inside a muffin, I and mean, it's wild. Now, how did you feel about queuing? Because a lot of people won't queue for things, but in Melbourne, there are th- some things you do have to queue for. I didn't have to queue. You know why? Because I went there at seven in the morning. Ah, smart. On a weekday. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, how I try, got away. Try with. the weekend. No, that's why I didn't go. <laughs> I know, but that's one okay then very cool place for lunch uh hawker chan oh hawker chan or yeah. hawker hall no hawker, hawker chan, chan. oh you can tell I me something about melbourne now i'm embarrassed well, okay because hawker hall is also very cool you know but hawker in chan wait a minute hawker chan <laughs> started in singapore mm-hmm. uh you know street food yes right? hawker and it was the only hawker in the world that got a one-star michelin oh uh, are you talking about the one in the city right yeah, the one uh, in the city, yeah. i haven't been yet very cool Okay. Very cool. And now, I'm not a meat eater, so I'm not going to order the chicken or the pork. I just had the noodles. I was a happy guy. Wonderful. But, I mean, I'm serious. That is okay. one to die so for. So, I've been told. Yep. I've got to get to Hooker Chan. Yep. And then, of course, I took my gang over to the Victoria Market just so they could see it. You know. Okay. I don't know. Wait, wait. You didn't buy any of those tacky souvenirs, did you? Yeah. Well, no, no. no. Let no. me tell you. <laughs> I'm on a mission. I, I Look, I have to do this not for me, but my assistant in Los Angeles has the world's largest refrigerator magnet collection. So, I had to oh, get her that. Oh, that's sweet. So, I got her one of the okay. Melbourne magnetic trams. Did you get yourself some Ugg boots? No, I didn't. I, don't have, I have enough Ugg boots to stop. <laughs> no, I did not do that. No. Because you know where the locals actually do go? They go to the South Melbourne market. Yes. Yeah, you know that, don't you? Yes. Yeah, okay. So there's beautiful, you can buy plants, you can buy wonderful food, you can get those great dim sims. Have you had the South Melbourne dimmies? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. how good are they? Well, wait. At the Victoria Market, however, mm-hmm. they had the American donut truck. Yeah, since and 1950. Was it up to standard? Huh? Was it up to standard? Your standard? Oh, yeah. They oh, did a great excellent. job. It's been around since 1950. And five donuts for six bucks? Come mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And that's six Australian. Yeah. Which is sort of like $3.80. Yeah, no. yeah, come on. Was, <laughs> Don't one? you love the exchange I, I rate? I do love mm, the exchange I thought rate. you might. You know what happened a couple of years ago? I was in Sydney. I had about six hours before my flight was leaving. And I was over on, on King Street and walking around, not by, not far from the rocks. And there was a bank there. And it was uh, it was advertised. This is when your mortgage rates are out of control. Mm-hmm. It was advertising certificates of deposit at 19%. Oh, dear. I went, 
oh my God. Mm. I said, you can't be serious. So you know what? I went to the bank and I wrote him a check. I opened up an account. What? At 19%? Wow, okay. Come on. makes sense, yeah. Are you serious? Mm. What are banks paying now? What, three, two? Yeah. So I did, and then about three years later, I was back in Sydney. I went, oh my God, I still have an accounting. (laughs) And I went in there, and sure enough, I made a lot of money. That's excellent. Well, Who that's knew? Very smart. Couldn't do that today. No, no, not advisable. No. Okay, now we were talking. We're talking to Don and Mayo from from Three AW, the number one station here in Melbourne. All right, we talked about the fl- the places that I've discovered sure. here. Sure. But let's talk about where you're going to take me for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay. Well, I do look. We love our coffee, and we are kind of coffee snobs. We're very particular about our coffee, so you have to go to somewhere like Jukes or St. Ali in South Melbourne, and you get yourself your morning coffee. That is an absolute. Okay, do. that's the ritual. And then you look for lunch. I um, we're talking about queues before. What's what worth waiting for in a queue? My all-time favorite well, restaurant. Wait. Is there anything really worth waiting for in a queue? Oh yes, because Chin Chin. I'm sure you're familiar with Chin Chin. Go ahead. It is. I know it's about a 45 minute wait sometimes for dinner and about a half but, hour but wait lunch, for lunch. lunch huh? Yeah, half hour wait for lunch. And I, I tell you what, divine. Their curries. Their it's a sort of a Thai Asian inspired uh, menu, and it is brilliant. Benjamin Cooper, you are a genius chef. So there you go. So Chin Chin's my all-time favourite. Um, but there's also um, Rockpool at Crown. Well, that's, that's Neil's. Neil Perry, Neil fantastic Perry. chef. Yep. Um, very proud of him. We've got the best of Larky at Ghazi, who is um, – that's run by George Kalambaras from MasterChef, one of the MasterChef judges. Um, and Maha, which is some of the best Middle Eastern food you will get in Melbourne. And uh, that's um, Shane Delia's restaurant. So they're my favourite restaurants, let's say. Um, but can we go over a little bit to St Kilda's? St Kilda is good if you want a cake and coffee in the I'm, afternoon. I'm, I'm talking about, or drinks, or drinks. Or drinks, yes. But See, you now I go back to the old days of the Stoke House. Uh huh. Now that was that was before the fire. Yes, that was. Wasn't that sad though? It you was never raised would, and you would never flag. go to the first floor of the Stoke House. You'd always go to the second. Oh yeah. Right now they're back. They have the second floor again, mm-hmm. and it's still okay for the yeah. views are gorgeous. That's though. where you go. You go for the views. So 80 percent for the views, 20 percent for the food, which is fine. Like the food is great. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but it's pretty special to have a meal at the Stoke house and look out onto the waves and the beach and everything but there's another happening place and a lot of people talk about chapel street but the south yarra part of chapel street okay what about you go about down down the road about three four kilometers and you end up in windsor so you're still on chapel street and i'm telling you now there's some cool bars there's some there's a new jazz bar that's just opened i don't know if you'd like do you like jazz sure okay so the high bar um has just opened on chapel street there's mr miyagi some of the best japanese you'll have and i'll tell you what it's it's a bit of a cool crowd I will say that but when you, say, Miyagi, hold it, when you say it's a bit of a cool crowd what do you define as a cool crowd oh you know those youngies that love taking photographs of their uh, of their food of their food oh stop that's to me you know what that's, a, that's not cool to me <laughs> I that, didn't, I'm I didn't sorry. want to mention that <laughs> I'm sorry that's not cool to no, me that's obnoxious no the food obnoxious. is gorgeous Mr. Miyagi is, is a beautiful restaurant though people who go through their lives now just thinking that the key to their success is Instagramming their food mm-hmm. have to be sent to another location I wish I'm I hadn't sorry. mentioned it but but don't but don't hold it against Mr. Miyagi because it is a really cool restaurant um what else have we got? I mean, we've got our laneways. We've still got that beautiful street art that, you know, you can walk down the street um, on the Monday and go down to all our beautiful laneways, you know, Hosier Lane and Hardway Lane and so forth. See the um, street art or graffiti, some people call well, it, of course. Well, let's, let's you know, I've talked, about this, I've talked about this earlier in the show, but it bears repeating. What's really cool about Melbourne is street art is legal. Uh-huh, uh-huh, absolutely. And it's celebrated and um, it's relished. And we look, we do get a lot of tourists because of it, because people love taking their photographs. Okay, yeah. we're going back to that Instagram moment but ultimately no, it's you know, one thing people, to take, wait a second people it's appreciate one thing the art if you're in a new desk 
destination mm-hmm. and you, you take a photograph of something that you're never going to see before or never going to see again. It's, mm-hmm. it's a cultural moment where you can immerse yourself in it. I sort of get that as long as you don't do selfies all the time. Uh-huh. How, we have an entire generation of people who think the definition of a great photograph has to include them in it. Okay. I'm, I'm, I am going to ask for a photo of uh, myself and yourself later. Yeah, but I charge. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, you see where no, my point I is. No, yeah. I know precisely what you're referring to. Um, but can I quickly mention another thing? Have you have, have you experienced our theatres yet? Have you been able to go to a show at the Regent Theatre or the Comedy Theatre or the Forum? Well, you've got some of the older theatres in town. Well, I mean, you know... No, but when I say older, I'm talking about classic. Yeah, beautiful. The Regent Theatre is one of the most stunning theatres and I've been fortunate. I am a freelance travel writer as well. So I have seen some gorgeous theatres. I've travelled through Europe and, and America and so forth. But um, I'm really, really proud of the Regent. It's absolutely gorgeous and, you know, hosted some extraordinary shows over the years. You know, The Lion King and Sunset Boulevard and Hugh Jackman was in that, by the way, and he was divine as ever. Um, so we've got the region, we've got the Forum, which is a little bit gothic as well. That's right in the heart of town. So we do have some pretty amazing theatres as well. Before we run out of time, when somebody's coming to Melbourne for the first time, mm-hmm. what's the first thing that they're not expecting to see that's going to surprise them? Oh, my goodness. Um, the fact that it just it's laid out so neatly that you, you, you just don't get lost. In a lot of cities, I think people think they're going to get lost. But Melbourne is so, you know, it's just like straight up and down. It's on this wonderful, neat grid. And I just, I, I, what do you think, Peter? Do you agree? Like, it's one of those places you can't really get lost. No, it's manageable. In, in the, in it's the, manageable. In the CBD, yeah. yeah. And lots and lots of open spaces. Our, our gardens, the Treasury Gardens, the Fitzroy Gardens, the beautiful shrine. Well, your botanical gardens here are unbelievable. The botanic gardens. Yeah. So we have a lot of gardens, right, you know, within, you know, 10, 15 minutes uh, walk from the CBD. So that's pretty cool too. And the thing is this. I'll say it now. It's the gateway to Tasmania. Oh, <laughs> Tasmania is beautiful. I mean, when I used to come here, people would say to me, why would you go to Tasmania? We don't go. I said, that's why I'm going. Uh-huh. And now, of course, it's the, the the flavor of the month. But it's a very short flight from Melbourne to Hobart. Oh, well, it's what, doable. Is it, is it less than an hour? About an hour and 20. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's about you an hour. It. It's great. Yeah, no, Tassie's gorgeous, but Melbourne is better. Spoken by a true Melbournian, and her name, Donna DeMeo. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Lots of stuff to talk about, and who best to talk about it than Alex Lavelle, who's the editor at The Age, big newspaper here in Australia, a Britainer. Yeah, that's right, Peter. <laughs> One of those it. imports. Yeah, I uh, was going to come here for a couple of years, and 20 years later, here I am, still here. And, and running the paper. <laughs> running the paper, yep. yeah. Yeah. When I talk about Melbourne to people, I mean, I've been coming to Australia since 1974, so I've seen all the changes, many of them really quite good. And when I think about Melbourne, Melbourne was always like the the bastard stepchild of Sydney. Uh, And I've come to realize, and I'm not doing this to to piss anybody off in Sydney, but I think Melbourne's a hotter city. So there's there's a massive rivalry between Melbourne and Sydney, Peter, always has been. Um, But I think a lot of people have come to a similar conclusion to you. Sydney's a beautiful city, beautiful harbour, great place to be. um, But it's more of an international city, I suppose, whereas Melbourne has a real Australian feel, um, probably in terms of culture uh, and events and 
um, even the you know, friendly, friendliness of the people and certainly the diversity of the people, um, Melbourne's a great place to be. And one of the things that's, that's amazing to me, um, when we're dealing with you know people fleeing from the cities, that's just the opposite here. you got like, what, 2,000 people a week moving to Melbourne. Yeah, 2,000 people a week, which, which makes the city a really vibrant and interesting place, but obviously puts a bit of pressure on the infrastructure and so on as well. But in the next, within the next 10 years or so, Melbourne is going to be a bigger city than Sydney. We're talking seriously rapid growth. That's right. Yeah. Across, on every dimension and level. Yeah, and it's to do with um, partly, as you say, Melbourne's a great place to be, but also work opportunities. There are opportunities probably to live. House prices are, are expensive here, but they're dropping slightly. Um, but the opportunity to live reasonably close to the city um, and, and in, a, in, a, in a place which has, as I say, heaps of opportunities, unemployment's low, um, and, and has a great feel to it. I mean, you look at some cities, especially in America, that had no master plan. I mean, they were just not laid out well, they weren't designed well, they weren't adapting well. How is Melbourne adapting to this kind of growth? Well, the, the population growth has taken everyone by surprise. The, even the most dramatic forecasts fall short of where we are at the moment. So um, there were estimates that Melbourne was going to hit 5 million people around about 2025, and Melbourne hit 5 million. Million, I think last year. So it's it's taken a little bit of time to, for the infrastructure to, to catch up. And if you come here, and I'm sure you see now, Peter, and certainly since 1974, huge changes. But there's a lot of building going along. Uh, there's a lot of tunnels being built. There are roads being widened. There's a freeway that's being planned that's going to have 24 lanes. So it's a it's well. Listen, when a, I was here, uh, let's go back to 1974. What connected the country was the Indian Pacific Railway. Sure. I mean, it was the longest piece of straight railroad track in the world between between Sydney and Perth, right? And that was it. Yeah, yeah. But now you've got a highway system now that allows people to move here if they wanted to. No, no, that's true. And yeah. that probably, to be honest, the rail system's not quite as good as it, it should be, particularly if in that intercity um, side of things. But, right. um, but the transport system, it's creaking, but um, but it's being upgraded and and over the next four or five years in terms of in terms of transport roads um, finally we've promised a rail line between the city and the airport which has been talked about for decades and decades and decades never happened but finally that that is going to happen that's one of the things that amazed me about Melbourne that it's still buses and taxis and private cars to the to the airport but that's going to happen as well so. and meters and greeters yeah that's right I mean it's still the family comes by to say goodbye yeah absolutely it's true yeah, it's yeah. old school yeah no it is old school and it, it is quite a traditional city and again when you're talking about the differences between Melbourne and Sydney there probably is a bit more of a traditional feel to Melbourne as well but look you've been here now 20 years yeah I mean the food's changed it certainly has I yeah. mean it's seriously changed <laughs> well when I came here 20 years ago it was meat pies it was we're, talk, we're talking meat yeah, pies yeah, it was pretty basic stuff and also the city um, particularly at weekends um, was was a dead zone. Oh, it closed know, up. The um, tumbleweeds flowing through, but but now um, it it is constantly packed, and the food is is terrific. The food is one of the, one of the big attractions to Melbourne, and I think that people are surprised when they come here how terrific a lot of the a lot of the top end restaurants restaurants are, but also the huge choice you have in different types of food. You can find anything here. Yeah. You want Ethiopian, you got it. Absolutely. You want Indian, you got it. You want Korean, you got it. Right. <laughs> The first, course, time I went yeah. to a, the first time I went to an Ethiopian restaurant, it was quite funny because I, I'd never been to one before. I thought we'd try it and went there with my wife. And we did, anyway, the, got, as you do when you go to a new restaurant, you get the, the, the waiter to order for you. But not only did he order for us, um, could, because there was a big flatbread, we didn't really know what to do. He actually started feeding us. So he, he broke off the bread and, and so I had the waiter feeding us as well as choosing the meal. But you that, see, that was a different kind of cultural Absolutely. experience. <laughs> but I mean, when I first came here, there were nothing but Greek restaurants. Sure. Because you had the largest population yeah. outside of Greece. 
That's right. Melbourne was outside of Athens, I think, the second second most Greeks in the world. But yeah, that's changed. The demographics have changed a lot, and there are still a lot of Greeks, a lot of Italians, but but people from all all over the world. Um, For your friends who visit you from the mother country mm. of England, uh, what's the biggest surprise to them about Melbourne? Uh, so I think um, the opportunities here. So the, there are huge. Sport plays a massive part of Melbourne, so whenever people come to visit... Well, there's, we'll always a, there's always an event here. There's a, there's a real flow. It's a predictability to, to Melbourne life in some ways. So um, starts off in January with the Australian Open Tennis, goes into the Australian Grand Prix in March. The AFL, uh, fo- local football... Aussie rules. Aussie rules. Yeah. Um, that, start, that starts around April. Um, and then Spring Racing Carnival, which is huge in Melbourne. I'm not sure if you've been here for that, Peter, but that's an yeah. enormous event. Hun- hundred. 110,000 people um, at the races on one day um, and then into the cricket which um, I'm sure you're a big fan of as I've all Americans I want you to know I learned how to play I've been hitting sixes I'm very proud of myself <laughs> but it is a rel- relatively slow game yeah yeah, yeah. that's true and one of the other things that's changed I think in Melbourne is so when I first came here um, in terms of the music um, a lot of bands who I think it would be kind to say were on the way down were coming through Australia <laughs> as a bit of a swan song but but now all the all the top bands, all the major tours all, are coming they, through. They all come through. Yeah. Um, and from a cultural point of view, um, the galleries and the and the art and the culture is is terrific. The one thing I will say, coming from a, from an environment in the United States where newspapers are dying, you still have newspapers. You still have newspapers, and there's been a resurgence in it as well, which has been great. So uh, over the past couple of years, the advertising revenue um, in newspapers, in particular, digital as well, but has actually. Um, what it was falling 10, 12% year on year. It's now, to the first time in my memory, it's, it was up year on year. So there's a bit more of a, uh, certainly a resurgence around newspapers and people are as interested in the news as they ever have been. And they're so, very interested in, the, in, the, in news from America too. That was another thing that surprised me when I came here from, from the UK, how interested um, Australians are in, in world politics and particularly American politics. Well, that's a discussion we'll have for another time. <laughs> Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Joining me now, an old friend of the show. I like to track with him every time I see him, and we're now tracking in Melbourne. He's the founder and editor-in-chief of Insider Travel Report, James Schillingwell. Welcome to the show, and welcome back to Melbourne. Thank you. It's great to be here in Melbourne. It is. And or Melbourne, as we just said. Or day. Melbourne. 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 Okay. Okay. Got to get that pronunciation down. Okay. Other than your bad pronunciation, you, at least you know where you are. <laughs> I, I think so. My jet lag is a little catching up with me. But yeah, it's, I, not, I, it's not a short-term flight. It's a 15-hour and 40-minute flight from Los Angeles. Or three movies. Or or four movies. Four movies. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things we're talking about here at the symposium is the changing demographics, the changing expectations of of travelers and and what they're looking for along a whole host of of, of parameters ranging from income, uh, cultural immersion, uh, genuine authentic, all those words that are being used at a time when the industry is actually booming right now. Yeah, no, it's great. And and this destination is booming and it's really veering and uh, promoting itself as a luxury destination. You know, I, I, this is only the second time I've been in Australia and the last time was a long time ago and I loved it and always wanted to come back. And here we are in Melbourne with Virtuoso at their symposium. And the, the word is from Australia tourism officials is that they were really focused on the luxury market now. Well, we've gone from throw another shrimp on the Barbie 
Yeah, not exactly the same thing as luxury, right? Well, not not presented the same way, at least. Right. And they're and they're not going for numbers; they're going for for quality and for income. Too. And for income, because yeah. look, at the end of the day, uh, the travel industry, like every other industry, is, is a numbers game. They want to know what the yield is. They want to know what the average spend is. They want to know what the total spend is going to be. And it's interesting to see how it changes from country to country. The the total spend in Australia was never at the level that it is in other countries. No, but and as you know, uh, Australia has long been an aspirational destination for Americans. So I think what the Australians have said, okay, fine, but let's go for the, the high end and let's go for the upscale traveler that has the income and come and appreciate it. And we have the products in food and wine, uh, in in destinations and that, that really should appeal to that luxury traveler. Exactly. And, and listening to their statistics, I was, I was quite surprised to hear that 19% of the people who come here want to go fishing. Well, actually, I, I saw you flinch at that a second when he mentioned that yeah. with fishing because I was sitting next to you when, when he mentioned that, our Australian friend. And uh, uh, I personally am not a big fishing, fishing fisherman, I, I fisher mean, person. I, look, I love going fishing, but I would never... <laughs> I've never heard another destination saying, you know, I mean, unless they're known for tuna, you know, that 19% are saying, I'm a dedicated, I'm going to Australia to go fishing. To go fishing. Well, yeah. and, but then they have, as, as, you, as you saw, they have about eight different groups of, of types of travel that they're really focusing on. Right. Luxury lodges, uh, uh, fishing. Obviously one, luxury fishing. A luxury fishing, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think what they're trying to do is attract, uh, tell travelers exactly what you can do here. And they have these groups that are like 650 different experiences you can get with these di- eight different groups. Uh, and I thought that was interesting about that kind of strategy. Now, uh, you know, we've always talked to everyone that wants to go to Australia because, oh, we love, love Crocodile Dundee and we all love, uh, you know, Paul Hogan and all that. Uh, but this seems to be a different kind of strategy now that they're trying to get travelers over here for. And they've increased their infrastructure to the point where you can really network yourself around the country now. You can sure. do it. Yeah, and and plus now we see a whole is a whole lineup of new luxury accommodations that are going to be here in Melbourne. You know, I heard a whole lot of different brands that we know very well are going to be built here in the next few years. You know, Mandarin Oriental and St Regis, and uh, you know, and and it's just amazing the kind of development they're going to have. They are. And if you really want to get out into the outback, and I suggest that you do, you can still do it the old-fashioned way. Take the Indian Pacific train that goes not literally in a straight line from Sydney all the way to Perth. And indeed, that was one of the, my aspirations. I, I read a book uh, you probably know by Bill Bryson uh, in a sunburned country, yeah. which was one of my inspirations to come here, and he did that. And I, I'm sure you've done, I've done, you've it. done it. And I, it still is one of the things, because I, I wanted to do east-west, and then I wanted to do north-south. Right. Well, I did, I did both, but on the east west it's so crazy because you're going to it's going down to Do- it's like going to dodge city you know it's like i'm looking for miss kitty and, and marshall dillon you know you're stopping at a place called Kalgoorlie. it's a minor town yeah, they, have, they have all these weird names here i gotta tell you yeah and know. there's there's also cook uh but you know you stop the train in fact when I first did it, I have to tell you, I was like so enamored of the experience because it was so different than anything I'd ever experienced that when we stopped in Kalgoorlie, the name of the newspaper there, still there, it's called the Kalgoorlie Miner. And I actually signed up for a subscription. And now you're getting it. Uh, I the get home. the Kalgoorlie Miner. And it's like it's like everything short of Miss Kitty and Marshall Dillon. <laughs> it's, and only person missing, I think, is Festus. Uh, you know? Well, we'll have to in, in, yeah. add him someday. But, but I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's still... 
a great experience. And then, of course, that takes you all the way to, into Perth, ultimately. Yeah, and then, of course, now they're, they're also focusing on their Aboriginal cultures and well, they their must. indigenous. And, they and must. And there's a, a lot of different experiences you can get with that. So, you know, it's 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 odd, it, or not odd, but it's it's amazing how they've transformed this appeal of Australia to make it a luxury destination. And speaking of the Aboriginal experience, I mean, I encourage people to spend time and immersing yourself in that culture because when they're out there in the outback, um, and they look to the sky and their interpretation of the stars and their dreams. I mean, I could listen to their stories forever. And in fact, on a lot of the boomerangs, the old boomerangs, not the ones you buy in the souvenir stores, mm-hmm. I'm talking the really authentic old boomerangs and the Aboriginal art that's drawn on that is depicting their dreams. And it's it's fas- it's fascinating. Well, and you know, they always all go out on a walkabout, right? And go oh, out yeah. and see this incredible sky here in Australia. It's as 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 we have a few Texans here from Virtuoso, and uh, they can't really claim this is big sky country. This is no, this is bigger sky, bigger country. sky country, much bigger sky country. Absolutely. And the biggest challenge that you have in visiting Australia is you cannot do the whole country in seven days. You can't do the whole country in seven months. I know. Well, you know, that is a misconception that a lot of Americans have is that, oh, I'll go to Australia for a week. No, you don't. This is a continent. And yeah. you have to come back here repeatedly several times. And, you know, as I said, this is my second time. And, boy, i got to come back and do a third or fourth because there are areas of this. I'll be here for about two weeks. Well, as much as I've done Australia, and I did one of the – I was participating in one of the largest-selling books in the history of the country back 38 years ago called The Day in the Life of Australia. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, if you look – it's still being sold 38 Mm -hmm. years later. And if you look at the back cover of that book, you'll see a much younger me sitting on the steps of the Sydney Opera House. But as much as I can tell you that I know about Australia – the one place I need to go are the Kimberleys. Mm-hmm. And the Kimberleys are in the northwest corner of this country, yeah. the most almost uncharted territory and such a beautiful coastline. Yeah, I got about two seconds away from taking a cruise up there one day, but I never made it up there. Well, now it's time to do it. I think it is. And a number of great cruise lines go up there, including Silver Sea, by the way. That's true. So you can actually do it in style. James Schillinglaw. Always a pleasure to talk to you, sir, the founder and editor-in-chief of Insider Travel Report. Welcome back to Australia. Great to see you, Peter, here in Melbourne, and uh, we're looking forward to a few more days here. Absolutely. We've been speaking with James Schillinglaw, the editor-in-chief of Insider Travel Report. You know, when I talk about doing that book, uh, what we did in that book, which really was a tribute to Australia as the size of, of the continent and country that it is, is we took 100 of the world's greatest photographers from Time, from Life, from Newsweek, from National Geographic, from all the wire services. We brought them in initially to Sydney for meetings for a day or two, and then we spread them out across the entire continent. And then for one day in March of 1981, mm-hmm. from one minute after midnight to 11.59 that night, they photographed a day in the life of Australia. And Australia is truly a photogenic country. Uh, Back in those days, and these days we call it an Instagram-type country, but uh, uh, back then you had it a little different than with photos all over the country, and and it's amazing that the geography here is truly astounding. And, you know, whether you're up north, uh, you know, I I remember covering the, the terrible hurricane in Darwin in 1975, which to this day, by the way, was the largest number of passengers ever put on, a, on an old 747. To, mm-hmm. They had something like you know, 600 people on an old 747, which is only designed for 400. People were on the floor, they were on the ceiling, just to get them out. So escape from Darwin, huh? Escape from Darwin. <laughs> but you know what? I go back all the time now. Mm-hmm. You've got Brisbane, the entire Gold Coast, 
uh, you know, Hamilton Island and Port Douglas, and it just goes well, all the way. And the Great Barrier Reef, and we yes. heard a presentation earlier today where, you know, there was a rumor that the Great Barrier Reef was dead, and they said, no, no, it's not at all, and, and it's, you can go and visit it. It's, you know, the size of the entire coastline of the western U.S. Exactly, and that's just the, the eastern co coast of the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, we haven't even dealt with Tasmania, which is only about an hour and 20-minute flight from where we are right now in Melbourne, and then heading west to Adelaide. The wine country there, the Barossa Valley, the wine country in Sydney, which is the Hunter Valley, mm -hmm. and where we are right now, the Yarra Valley. I mean, I only have two words for you, designated driver. <laughs> well, Adelaide I, was my first introduction to Australia, and I thought it was the most charming city I'd ever been in, a yeah. uh, place that I would strongly consider retiring to because it's close to the beach, it's close to the wine, and not too far from the outback. Those are words that we're going to live by. I, I'm, I'm sure about that. James Schillinglaw. The, the charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. <laughs> The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4. We're here for the Virtuoso Annual Symposium. We do this every year with them. Uh, and, of course, last year was Amsterdam. This year, it's Australia. Next year, it's anybody's guest. But right now, we're in Melbourne. And joining me now, because we always have to have an expat on the show. We always have to have some guy who, I don't know what drug he was on, but decided to leave the United States and move somewhere. And he started to move here. Garrett Houston, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you. From Boston. I was born in Boston, grew up in Georgia. And then woke up one day and said, I'd like to go to Melbourne. Well, there's a pit stop in Portland, Oregon. And then I had to go farther west. And what, what literally brought you here? Oh, I, um, I, I was working for Subway at the time as a consultant. And the job came up for me to come to Australia, so I did. You were working for Subway? Yes. You were making sandwiches? No, no, no. I was a consultant for them. Yeah. You were I, stu I still do some work You were a sandwich consultant? Yes, exactly. And so Not what an a coincidence. A You've moved to Australia. You're here in Melbourne. And you own a company called Mason Dixon doing what? We make American-style sandwiches. There we go. Okay, fine. So can I get a grilled cheese? Uh, you can get grilled uh, sandwiches with cheese. Okay, fine. We make, I, I think, the best Rubens you're going to find within, I don't know, 8,000 miles, really. Now, i got to ask, how long ago did you move here? I moved uh, 2002. All right, so you've been here 17 years. Yes. What gave you the idea that this idea would work? Well, I had a few ideas uh, floating on my head, and then I found a spot, and I was like, you know what? I'm tired of having to cook my corned beef and uh, eat it, and then the next morning I've hash, and then, then being able to have Rubens the next day, because no one was making good Rubens at the time. So I was like, I'm going to... I saw the headline in all the Australian newspapers, Ruben, problem. <laughs> no. We were definitely lacking in Rubens, yes. But did you know that it would be an acquired taste for the Australians they jump on it? I, I did, and as a matter of fact, I had to explain... How did you know that? I, uh, from, well, uh, having uh, my wife, she had never tried it, uh, a Reuben before I made him for her. And then word got out that, you know what, they don't have those here. So I saw a lot of corned beef sandwiches that called themselves Reuben's, but they weren't really Reuben's. So, okay, but you're making more than just Reuben's now. Yeah, we're uh, Philly cheesesteaks, Cubanos. Philly cheesesteaks in Melbourne, okay. Yeah. Okay. And do a few other hoagies and pulled pork. That uh, The pulled pork and the Cubanos. Well, pulled pork, they do a lot of that here, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so your signature dish is still the Reuben? Yeah, uh, oh, it's, a, it's the cheesesteaks definitely battling out, but we have a su Reuben Supreme that's basically my smart aleck remark of... <laughs> Put everything on there and call it a Reuben. So. Now, I have to ask you as a fellow American, yeah. um, how is your adjustment here? 
I landed in Newcastle, and Newcastle uh, was quite different from Portland. So uh, Plus, this was 2002, where the place closed at 6 o'clock at night. Yeah, exactly. It was like that. And you weren't bored out of your, not, out of your mind? Uh, I liked the change, but there was a night around a Tuesday night, and it was 8.30 at night, and I'm driving around Newcastle going, I want to get something to eat. And the only thing that was open was McDonald's. Everything else was closed. And I'm like, I came from 24-hour city to, oh, everything closes. I even got an argument with my flatmate at the time. Oh, it'll be open tomorrow. She's like, oh, no, it's Easter. It won't be open. I'm like, oh, no, it'll be open. And, of course, the grocery store wasn't open. And I had to, I had to adjust to that, yeah. Well, necessity being the mother of invention, you figured, hey, we will open when other people don't. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course... The demand came. Yeah. So, and it's been really interesting seeing uh, moving to Melbourne. Um, and you're pronouncing it correctly, by the way. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm sorry, Melbourne. It's a. It's a no, uh, it's yeah. Melbourne. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to do it translating for the U.S. Uh, but we, uh, uh, it's been really nice because in the last three or four years, we've been doing it for five years, three or four years. The American food craze really has hit Australia. So barbecue and sandwiches and burgers, 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 burgers. Um, suddenly it came up. So I was. I was lucky enough to be great when that happened. So, Sarah, yeah. on the cutting edge of throw another Reuben on the Barbie. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> what was your biggest surprise when you got here? And what's your biggest surprise about being in Australia now, 17 years later? Uh, um, I think the biggest surprise is it didn't look like a Crocodile Dundee movie. and None of the stereotypes showed up. No, well, plenty of them did, but not everywhere. <laughs> um, I... I had trouble with the accent a lot more than I thought I would, to be honest. And uh, there was two or three weeks of me just smiling and nodding a lot. But they do speak English here. Yes, yes. Uh, they speak Australian. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's rhyming slang. So there was a lot of surprises with that. The drinking culture was something to get used to as well, especially in Newcastle where they, they drink a lot of beer. Well, nothing else is open. Yeah, except the pub. Except the pub. Mm. So you had some late nights, did you? I did. I did. I had my second adolescence. And I uh, had to get out of there before, I, before it killed me, I think. And now you're in Melbourne. Now I'm in Melbourne, yeah. I'm and one foot in Hobart, actually. So. Oh, well, Hobart's one of my favorite places. It's a beautiful place. That's right. Tasmania, folks. That's where you want to go. Mr. Houston from Mason-Dixon, yeah. from Boston, yeah. and now Melbourne. Absolutely. Hey, thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Van Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. So you're always on the go? Now you can take the CBS Mornings with you, and we want to go. Wake up to your daily dose of news and interviews on the CBS Mornings On The Go podcast. 
Listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Wondery Plus. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital edition wherever you get your books.